Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. My family and I, we, have, we send our kids to, uh, to, to school, the school that they go to. Uh, they, they're still on holidays. They've been holidays all this week. And so, well, lots of kids, I don't know what it's like for uni holidays, but for my kids, you know, they, they have an extra week of holidays every single time it comes to school holidays, which is actually, you know, really great for them. doesn't work, work out so well for, uh, for Sarah and I because we have to work, you know. And, and so I, I've had to work from home a little bit this week. And, and so I'm working at home on, on the computer and the kids are still around the house. And I'll tell you something right now. My kids do not respect the fact that dad has a job. They don't. They, they come. And, and some of you, uh, if, if you don't have children, you're going to find this out. Uh, you, kids have two modes, hungry and bored, and they just cycle, and, and they just go through them, you know, and, they, and they, they want, once you fed them, they're bored, you know, and then they're bored, and so anyway, it's just a, it's just a repetitive cycle, and so, you know, my kids all week, I've been trying to work, and they come in, and, and, and they say, you know, come on, Dad, I'm, I'm hungry, and, and my daughter, Eliana, she's so beautiful, right, but she wants to play, and she has no respect for the fact that I have a job to do, so she's saying to me, come on, Dad, you got to come play with me, like, come on, let's, let's go do something, and, and and so, uh, you know, she kind of wore me down a little bit. And, and I, I want to be honest and say this. And I realize I'm probably going to lose a few points here, uh, you know, in, and maybe amongst this crowd tonight. But my daughter, she always, she always wants to play mums and dads. I'm going to be honest with you tonight. I hate playing mums and dads, okay? <laughs> now, here's the thing about this game, right? Is that I am an actual dad, which you think would give me a natural aptitude for the, for the game, game. But I'm rubbish at it. And, and the reason is, is that my daughter, she has so many rules, right? And she knows I hate to play this game. So she come in this week and she was like, Dad, you know, come on, let's go play. Come on. I said, oh, I said, hang on. I said, hey, what are we doing? You know, she goes, well, we're not going to be playing mums and dads. And I'm like, okay, okay. I said, well, what are we playing? She goes, well, I'll tell you later. Just come, come, you know, and I'll show you what we're going to play. So she comes and she sits me down in her bedroom. I said, what are we doing? And she goes, we're going to play dolls, right? And I'm like, okay, this sounds kind of familiar. And I'm like, this isn't mums and dads. She goes, no, it's not mums and dads. It's dolls I said okay she said all right this is your doll and here's mine now I'll be the mum and I'm like ah it is mums and dads you know and 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 so it's too late though she's already got me and I'm there and so we we play and I'll be honest with you guys I've got about 15 minutes in me before I get totally bored and I just can't play this this game anymore and the reason is is I'm terrible at faking it like I just cannot pretend to be interested in 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 things that I'm not interested in and so my my daughter she wants to play mums and dads my boys they just love playing xbox Okay, that's what they do. They could they could sit there for like eight hours straight and just play the Xbox. And so my they, my boys, they always want me to get involved in playing Xbox. Now some of you, and I realize I'm in the minority here tonight, but some of you are like, oh, that sounds great. No, it's like a total sacrifice for me because I tried to get into the Xbox and I hated it. Right? In fact, I thought to myself, Xbox. I said, people are into this. People like this stuff. Yeah, maybe I could get into it too. And so you know what? This would be great because if I loved video games and what I could do. I can, I can do it whenever I want at my convenience, you know, when the kids are in bed. I, I should attempt to get into this. So I did. And, I, and I, we already had an Xbox and some, some one of my friends lent me like a first-person shooter game. And so I started playing this and, and I'm going to be honest, I was literally thinking, please, please 
kill me and let this be over. Like, I just, I just did not want to play it anymore. And I just couldn't get into it. I couldn't fake it. So I put it down and, and, and I'm just uninterested in it, you know? And it's funny how some things you're just not interested in, even when you have to pretend to try to be interested in it, you, you just can't do it. But then other things, they just completely grab you, you know? Like, like earlier this year, my family and I, we went on a three-week trip to go to Canada and two of those weeks we were skiing. Now, I'd only ever skied once in my life. I was 17 years old at the time, so that's 20 years ago, and I thought, come on, I'm going to give this thing another shot. Well, I did, and turns out it's the best thing ever. So, so I loved it. It was so good, and, and at the beginning of this year, I went over and I had to hire everything and borrow everything because I had nothing. Here we are, you know, six months later, I have everything. I have skis. I have everything, right, because I got into it. No one pushed me. No one forced me. It was just something that I wanted to do. Here's the other thing about it. It's, it's amazing how many conversations, in how many conversations I have, skiing just comes up, you know, and, and it, you know why it comes up because I like it, you know, and I keep finding a way to bring it up. We, we had one of our fasting mornings this week and, and somebody came over and they, they asked me this question. They said, are you talking about skiing again? I'm like, look, it just came up, you know, it keeps coming up. You know why? Because I think it's great. And, and you know, when you think something's great and when you're interested in it, you don't look for opportunities to talk about it. They just seem to appear. In other words, the things that you're passionate about, they tend to bleed through. And it's hard when you have to fake being passionate about something. But when you're truly interested, when you're genuinely passionate about something, it's just obvious to everyone around you. I want to speak about passion tonight. I'm going to preach a message to you guys called Strike the Arrows. Um, so three weeks ago, uh, my family and I were on a holiday, we went up to Mount Hotham, we were skiing and, and I caught a chairlift and as we were going up on the chairlift, they have little messages that are on the back of the chair that's in front of you. And there was this quote by Warren Miller and it said, the first time you catch a chairlift, it will change your life forever, you know? And he meant in the most positive sense, like you'll love it, you'll be hooked forever. I'm not sure that's exclusively true. I've seen people try to get off the chairlift with a snowboard. They will never catch a chairlift again, you know. And so it doesn't always work that way. But Warren Miller is making a point and what he's talking about is encounter. And he's saying that you can have an encounter that will change the direction of your life. You can have a, an encounter that transforms you. Now, when I say the word encounter, I'm saying an experience that, that shifts your perspective or changes the way that you live. Now, let me say this. When we have an encounter with God, it is supposed to change the direction of your life. It's supposed to shift things in your life. If you have an encounter with God, your life is supposed to look different because of it. You don't have an encounter with God and say, that was wonderful, experience no life change, and just look for the next encounter moment. You're not supposed to live like that. That's like when we have an encounter with God, it's like having a mountaintop experience. Do you understand what I mean when I say mountaintop experience? It's like, it was great. It was fantastic. But you can't just live from encounter to encounter moment and try to avoid all the valleys in life. 
The truth is about life is that it ebbs and flows. There are ups and there are downs. And some people want to just try to have a great encounter. And, and they say, well, I'm not coming down from this place. Uh, oh, there's great. There's a Christian conference. Let's go to that. Yep. Wow. Great encounter. And, and, and what's next? There's got to be something. Oh, great. Church is on Sunday. Oh, another encounter experience. And we just try to live from moment to moment experiencing only the highs, right? But, but never coming down. But that's not how life works. No one can live on the mountaintop forever. In fact, here's, here's what's supposed to happen. What you discover in your encounter experience, that's your mountaintop moment. What you discover in your encounter moment, you're supposed to pull that with you down into the valley. Now, I've met a lot of people that have had encounters with God. And I'll tell you the truth. Some of those stories are amazing. I think, wow, that's so great that God moved in that way. But that doesn't exactly impress me. I'll tell you what impresses me. is when someone can have an encounter with God, a mountaintop experience where they say, wow, God is so good. And then ride that all the way down to the bottom of the hill when everything's going average and still be able to say, wow, God is so good. Can you confess everything at the bottom of the hill as the same as it is when you were at the top? When you have a genuine encounter with God, you're not supposed to go up and down like this all the time. You can be in the valley and say, He is just as good here as He was when I was there. I feel the same. I'm, in other words, your passion is not supposed to go up and down depending on what you're going through. When you have a genuine encounter with God, you say, He's good all the time. And no matter where I am or where, where, where I feel like my life is at this exact moment, I am just as passionate about God now as I was when it was all good. Now that impresses me. That's the kind of thing that impresses me where we can go up and down and still confess God's goodness. It lasts through the seasons. You know, I, I remember having an encounter with God when I was 21 years old, and, and this encounter was supposed to shift and change my life. And I'll be honest with you, it didn't stick. It just didn't. It didn't change me. So what happened is, is that I was going to church, like I was dressed up, like I was going to church, you know, on the outside, I was consistent, I was still there, but there was nothing going on inside of my heart, really, you know, and, this, and one day I began to think about it, and, and I remember walking into church one day, and, and I said these words under my breath, I said, how can I continue to live like this? I was disappointed in myself, wondering how I could come to church every single Sunday and still have, have had that encounter experience with God and see nothing shift in my life and nothing change in my life. But this day, I was kind of fed up with myself. So I was so late to church that day that I walked through the doors and I sat in the middle at the back. The preacher was preaching at the time. When I walked in and sat down, he stopped the service. And he said, Ben, and I looked up at him and he looked at me and he said, God wants you to know that he heard what you said under your breath as you walked into church this morning. He wants you to know that everything's going to be okay. 
When that moment, I had a second encounter, and this time it did everything that it was supposed to do, and it shifted me, and it changed me, and I was different because of that. I knew God was listening. I knew God loved me, and even though I tried to leave Him, He never left me. He was always with me, and that did something to me. So I went back to my job, the same job I had the, the, the week before, and people could see that I was different. There was something different about the way I behaved and acted. And I told them about my experience. And, and, and some of them, they, they looked at the kind of decisions that I was making with my life. They looked at how I acted. They looked at how I behaved. And I think that because some of them knew me, that they looked at me and they were like, this ain't going to last. In fact, I, I didn't have to wonder if they were thinking it. Some of them just said it to me, you know. Like they looked at me and they were like, I don't think this is going to stick. I don't think you can stick with this. I know who you are. You, you know, eventually you'll return. And they were just thinking like, you know, th- this is it. I, I, I can't stick with this new, out of this encounter, this new kind of person that I've been created. They were just waiting for the moment when I would slip back into who I was. Well, here we are all these years later, and I'm still living in the wake of that encounter. There was a lasting change, a lasting shift that happened in me. And I went from being a full-time person that worked in a liquor store that sold liquor to a full-time evangelist that occasionally sold liquor to people. It was just different. It just shifted. You know, and I saw what I saw before was my job, but now I saw a mission field. It was different. I I went back to my job with fresh eyes. I I looked again at my surroundings and I said, God, I'm here for a reason. I know that you've got me here so that I can make a difference. That's what I wanted to do. So you know what I did? And people would come into the store and God would give me, you know, prophetic words for them and I would want to share them with them. And I remember this one story, this lady, you know, she she came into Coles. Now, this is one of those de-walled stores where the liquor store is attached to the to the you know Coles shopping center and, and so you can walk from one through to the other and so I was working one day and this lady walked in and God gave me a message for this lady and I thought man I've got to share it with her but she was shopping she wasn't coming into where I was so like a true creeper I had to just watch her you know and and, and make sure that I didn't lose her because I, I felt the weight of responsibility of sharing this word with her so watch her between the bottles well eventually I, I actually did some work and and I missed her go through the checkout and already she was in the car park. And I thought, I've missed my opportunity, but God has given me this word. And I, I thought, I may never see this person again, this, this window of opportunity. It might close and I didn't want to lose it. So I did something that I never told my boss about, but I'm going to tell you tonight. I looked around at the liquor store and there was no one in there. And I said, I need to get this word to this lady. So I prayed this prayer. I said, God... I said, you please protect the store and make sure that nobody steals anything. And I'm going to leave it and go across to that lady in the car park. And this is Murabak, like 15 years ago. It's a real prayer of faith, right? So, so, so I prayed this prayer. I said, God, look, you look after everything here and I'll look after everything over there. And, and I left the, the store and I went over and I, and I started to talk to this lady. She actually thought I was asking her out. Oh, we were so far from that. And, and so I said, no, 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 no. I said, I, I said, I feel like, you know, I just wanted to share this message. You felt like God put this on my heart and started to talk to her about Jesus. Well, I said, I've got to get back to my liquor store. I really don't know how things are going back there. So, so I left her in the car park and I went back to the store. I checked around. Didn't look like anything was stolen. So we never spoke about it ever. And, and, and the lady, she came back and she said, all right, 
She said, you got me. Tell, tell me about Jesus. Tell me, tell me about God. I, I, I want to know more, right? And, and, and so why did that happen? It happens because there was an encounter that made a difference in my life. When you have an encounter with God, people should see something markedly different about you. And you know one of the things that they should notice? They should notice the passion that's within you. you I don't think you can have or you shouldn't really have an, an encounter with God that doesn't result in some kind of overflow of passion. See, passion is the outward expression of an inward experience of, a, of this change that has been happening on the inside of you. And the reason why I'm sharing this message with you tonight is because I think that passion is so important when it comes to your relationship with God. I mean, incredibly important. And one of the reasons why is because I think that passion moves the heart of God. I think that when God looks at his people and he sees passion, you know what he's identifying? When he sees passion in your prayers, he's identifying an inner conviction that you hold to be true about him. That's why you're passionate. If, if you don't have a conviction about who God is, then you won't be passionate when you pray because you don't expect anything. Why should you expect anything? Well, the Bible has something to say about that. In fact, the Bible says that if you go to God, if you go to Him without faith and expect nothing, then you won't receive anything back. And the reason you won't receive anything back is because you don't have the faith to believe that God will even answer it. Well, you don't find that in passionate people. When people are passionate, they just, whatever's going on on the inside, that fire that's in them, it just bleeds through. I think God loves to see passion in His people. Man, I want to read a scripture to you today. This comes out of 2 Kings in chapter 13 and verse 14. And I just want to clue you in to what's happening in this story so that you can fully appreciate it and, and, and understand it. Um, this whole story revolves around a king by the name of Joash. Joash has recently become king and his country, the nation of Israel, they are about to be attacked by the Syrian army. Now, sadly, they are still reeling from their last encounter with the Syrians and they depleted all of their resources and now they're in struggle town. And so here he is, Josiah. He's just recently become king. He's got 50 horses, 10 chariots, 10,000 soldiers. They are outclassed and they are outmatched. And so he goes to the prophet Elijah to ask him, what should he do? And he's, got, he's close to the prophet Elijah. They have a very close relationship. And so here's the conversation that happens. It says, now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die... Joash, the king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying. Now you think that he's sad about the fact that the prophet Elisha is about to die, but he has other concerns. And he says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. This is pretty simple stuff here. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory uh, over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you've made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. Strike the ground with them. And he struck the ground three times. And he stopped. He stopped. 
Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck it five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. After that, Elisha dies. It's kind of sad all round. And I've read that story many, many times. And I thought to myself, you know, Elisha, I kind of feel like you're being a little harsh here. It's not like you gave him a number. It's not like you said, go for six. And he only went halfway. You know, you just said, strike the ground. So we struck it and he did it three times. Now, when you read the story in English, you don't really see everything that's going on there, but the original language kind of really fleshes out what's going on here. And so let me just paint the picture of this story again so that you can see what's really going on. Joash comes in and he says to Elisha, Elisha, we are in serious trouble. I'm so worried about what's going to happen. I mean, the Syrians are coming to attack us. We don't have enough to even make it through this victory. I mean, what are we going to do? And Elisha looks at him and he gives him this strategy. And during the process, he, he says, great, now, now take the arrow. And, you know, he gets the arrow and he says, open the window. And he opens the window and shoots the arrow, shoots the arrow. He's still worried. He's still concerned. But then he hears something and he says, oh, the Lord's arrow of victory, victory over Syria. And, and Joash is like, really? So we're, now we're going to win? And he's like, yeah. And that changed everything. Because after he said those words, he says to Joash, he gives him these arrows and he says, right, now that you've done that, now I want you to strike the arrows on the ground. Now, moments earlier, Joash is really worried and really concerned and he's doing everything he was asked and he's doing it with passion and worry and fear and concern. But when he realizes that he's going to get victory, and then the prophet says, now strike the arrows on the ground. He does not strike the arrows on the ground with the same level of intensity as he did when he shot that arrow. In fact, it says in the original language, in the way that it's written, that when it comes to striking the arrows on the ground, he really kind of does it in a way just to humor the man of God. And so now he's like, strike the arrows on the ground. He's like, yeah, we could do that. All right. He strikes the arrows, you know. Yeah, well, let's do one more. Okay. You know? And it says that the way in which he did it was not passionate. He wasn't passionate. He wasn't concerned. He wasn't worried anymore. And he really only kind of did it just to please Elisha. Like, here you go. I'm just doing it for you. I hope you feel better that I'm doing this. Man, what shifted? What shifted between the worried, passionate, concerned young king Joash that walked in and five minutes later, now he's just trying to humor the man of God. And the difference was that he got what he wanted from God and he didn't want anything else. Oh, that's so sad. When people have the kind of lives where they're passionate and they're worried and they see God so they, because they need something from Him. But when they get what they want, all the passion goes out the window. Well, I don't need you anymore, God. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we don't really have that kind of relationship. Imagine, imagine trying to have a friendship with a person that behaved just like this. Imagine if you had a friend 
And every time they called you up, it was only because they had a problem and they just needed you to solve it. Imagine if you had a friend that called you up and they said, hey, um, I know we haven't seen each other in a while, but man, uh, my car just broke down and I'm just wondering, uh, could you just come pick me up? Oh, and by the way, we should really hang out sometime. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. But if you could just come pick me up at least, that'd be really good. And then we'll make a time like later in the future. And, and yeah, sure, we'll hang out. And then when the pickup happens and, and you know, all of that, the, the problem is solved. It's like now you don't hear from them. But then another problem arises and they call up the number and say, oh, you know what? I, I, I really need help getting to the airport today. And I'm just wondering, could you just help me out? And I know we didn't really hang out last time. And I know I said that we would, but this time I'm serious. No, we will really will hang out after this. You know what? I'll Facebook you. Yeah, I'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll hang out, you know? Sure, 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 sure. So then, you know, you take them to the airport, but then you never hear from them ever again until another problem arises. And I'm telling you right now, it's a sad thing. It's a sad reality. When people's prayer lives with God and their spiritual lives are simply cultivated around the problems that they experience and never because they love God or they want an actual relationship, they just keep calling Him because they're in trouble and they need a solution and they need another way out. That is not a passionate life for God. That's not passion. That is having a relationship with God because there are benefits in there and they help get you out of stuff. And you just go back to Him when you need something. But when you've got everything you need, you don't even talk. That is not a passionate life with God. It is sad. If you are only passionate, Every time you've got a problem, then you may survive spiritually, but you'll never thrive spiritually. You just survive from moment to moment. And I promise you this, you'll you'll never live the life that God has for you. you. You'll never experience the fullness of everything that He has because your relationship only exists when you need something from Him. And that's not the kind of relationship that God wants. You will limp on. See, see, passion. When you're passionate about God, when you love Him, when you genuinely care about God, it becomes a consuming purpose that alters your life. It's meant to look different after that. It's meant to bleed through in conversations. If you're a Christian and it's a secret to everyone that you work with, it's possible you're either being really strategic, but after six months, I guess you're just not that passionate. It's meant to bleed through into your conversations. Where do you, what do you tell people you do every Sunday or is that detail always omitted from it? You know, if your life has not been altered by God, then it's possible that you just haven't had a genuine encounter with Him. Because if you had one, it probably would do something deeper than what you're currently experiencing. You know, if, if you have an encounter with God, remember what Warren Miller said? He said, if you ride a chairlift, it'll change your life forever. Well, if a chair life is supposed to change your life, how much should an encounter with the living God change the life of the believers that profess that they follow Him? It should change your life dramatically and significantly. James Dyson, the guy that reinvented the vacuum, 
He said this about vacuums. He said, I love vacuums. I love vacuums. And I will love them until the day I die. That is an actual quote. Guys, he's in love with vacuums. I love them. I love vacuums and I will love them till the day I die. James Dyson is passionate and excited about vacuums. And they suck. (laughs) He's just passionate about vacuums. Oh my goodness. Let me tell you, let me tell you, this will give you a little insight into my family's life right now. Recently, we actually, in the last week, we actually did buy a vacuum, a, a, a stick vacuum. And this has changed our life dramatically. It's changed the cleanliness of our house. We, for the first time, are able to take a vacuum anywhere we want to go. When it's not attached to a cord anymore, we go around furniture. It's a thing of beauty. And, and, and we love it, and, and we vacuum it, and everyone's excited about it, right? To the point that my kids have said, Dad, can we please vacuum the house? My kids. Some of you don't have kids. You don't understand how impressive that is. Is it dark? Can we please clean the house? In fact, I caught, oh, I caught one of my kids sneakily vacuuming. I said, I don't know if I, don't know if I want you to use the new vacuum. He was like, okay, dad. And I saw him going, like, he loved it. He, he wanted it, you know, and, and, and I thought, I can't believe this. I was like, where was all this passion before? Now he wants to vacuum everything. My family are now looking for things. They're looking at the floor and they're going, this could do with a vacuum. This really needs a vacuum. My kids, they're like, wow, look at that rug. That rug really needs a vacuum. The rug's been dirty for such a long time, but only now do they consider that they should actually vacuum it. And you know why? Because the stick vacuum that we got, it's like, it's awesome to be honest. Like, it is cool and it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it looks almost like a weapon to be honest. And it's sharp and it's sleek and it's light and it's cool and it, it's got a little LED screen on it, right? And, and they're all excited. You know why? Because it's new and it's fresh and they haven't had one before. And I just thought, I wonder how long it will take before the passion for vacuuming eventually evaporates. You know? And it'll probably happen pretty soon because they'll just become so accustomed to the fact that we have it. And it's not new and it's not cool anymore, you know? And in fact, people can do this with their lives. If you're a follower of God, have you forgotten your first love? Do you remember when it was new and when it was fresh and when you thought it would alter your life dramatically and when you realized that, oh, wow, God really is real and, and, and everything was new and exciting you can become so accustomed to the presence of God and realizing that He is always there because you know God is always there. It's so convenient that sometimes you just forget that it's even worth talking to Him. I can do it anytime I want. haven't done it for a while, but I mean, I can whenever I want. We can become so accustomed to the presence of God that some of that passion begins to wane and it begins to evaporate and it begins to dry up. When you're really passionate about something, it lasts in season and out of season. And, 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 and you don't need 
that freshness to, to, to always be there. You just love God because you're still living out of the wake of that encounter moment, that experience that you had with Him. And that's still shaping and shifting and, and changing your life today. See, what I'm saying to you guys is that passion looks like something. It's meant to look like something. Sometimes it's hard to see. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to identify when, when someone is passionate. So I thought, you know what I'd do? I thought, I'm going to help you guys today. I, I need, can you just pass me that bag? And I'm going to need a volunteer tonight, right? So I'm going to need a volunteer. And Matt, come on, jump up. Let's grab you. Come on, give Matt a hand. Just come stand here. So can we do a little bit of interaction tonight, guys? Is that okay? Yeah. All right. So, so I, I'm, I'm going to do some things right now, and I want you to, I'm going to ask you if Matt looks passionate, right? So, so first of all, look at him. Could you even tell if he was a Collingwood supporter, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, here's the thing. Like, he's not dressing about it. He's, he's not, he hasn't really talked about it yet. You know, like, so it's, it's hard to know, right? So, so does he look, I mean, just, just look at him. He's just standing there with his hands in his pocket. Does he look passionate? No, okay, all right. So what if I take this Collingwood scarf and I put this around him? Right. Now, <laughs> he's just standing there. He's just wearing a scarf, right? If you just see him, would you say, wow, there is a really passionate Collingwood supporter. Would you say that? No. You wouldn't say that because you're looking at him. He's just standing there. You can't tell if he's passionate. Don't get me wrong. He's, he's dressed up a little bit, you know, so he, he could be. But there's nothing that's indicative about that scarf that's going to make you say that he's really passionate. What if, what if I took out his two front teeth, you know? <laughs> you know, like, would he look like a Collingwood? Yeah, he'd look like a Collingwood supporter. But we wouldn't really know if he was passionate about that, would we, right? So, so what about this? Just chuck that on for a minute. Right now, if you can't see, because you're at the back, this is a Collingwood beanie, right? And so now here he is, and he's just standing here, right? And don't get me wrong, like he's got a few items of clothing, but do you know if he's actually passionate? No, you don't know if he's passionate. He's just wearing the gear, you know? All right, one more thing, one more thing. I give him a football, right? Now, now he's got all the elements, right? But he's just standing there. Do, would you know if he was passionate? about Collingwood? No, he's just, he's just kind of dressed up, right? And this is what I've discovered, is that people can dress up and not be passionate. And you know how people do this in church? Or you know how Christian people do this? That, you know what? They just come to church. And just, just because you're here doesn't mean you're actually passionate about God. I mean, you might be, but, but just being here doesn't mean that you're passionate. Imagine if you came to church every week. No, scrap that. Let's Let's do it for reality within the Western world, okay? In the Western world, people are going to church one out of two weeks. So six months a year, on average, we are in church. And does that necessarily convey that we're passionate? No. I mean, you could even join a small group. And then the only reason you joined a small group is because Matt Wynn was so convincing and, and you said that you'd do it and you, you, you joined a small group, but you don't even really want to be there. And, 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 and you're, not, you're not passionate about it. In fact, you begrudgingly go to groups saying, I wonder what this week's going to be like. And you, you know, you're, you're doing all the right things. You're showing up to all the events, but there's no fire for God. And there is a big difference between being a religious person that attends the events and a person that is on fire for God. And I tell you something else. You have a little conversation with them and you can pick it pretty quick. 
There are people that are passionate about God and it bleeds through. And you know why? When it, when it begins to bleed through, it's not just something that they talk about. There is something called action that's attached to that passion. Come on, give this guy a hand. He can, he can grab your seat. Put that. No, that's Sarah's. She'll kill me if I give that to you. Sarah's a Collingwood supporter, so again, pray for us. Um, if you're trying to identify if you're really a passionate person, then you should do an audit of your time, talent, and treasure. Do an audit of your time, talent, and treasure. How are you spending your time? Is there anything that's indicative of the time that you spend that would show people that you're passionate about God? Audit your talent, you know? So you've got skills. That's awesome. God's given you abilities. That's great. But are you using those to serve Him? Or do you take all the talent that God's given to you and you've found a way to just make it work blessing into your life? Audit audit that. Are you using what God's given you to serve Him or is it just there to serve you? Do an audit of your treasure. Yeah. Yeah, your finances. Because you always invest in things that you love. And are you, are you investing into the kingdom of God? Do an audit of your worship. How's, how's your worship look? How's your worship look? Do you find it easy to worship or are you just waiting till everything comes together before you finally decide that you can do it? You know. I know that worship is so much more than just standing in a church and with your hands raised. Like, I'm not saying that that's worship, but guys... It, it, when it comes to worship, if you're, if you're in church and you're just waiting for the creative team to bring the perfect moment to draw out your worship, I've got to tell you, you, you've missed it completely. You don't even understand worship. You don't even, you don't even know what it's about. If, if just, you're, you're just waiting for a three-piece harmony to really confirm that the presence of God is, in fact, in the building I think you've missed the point of worship altogether. If you come into worship and, and, and in your mind it's just, it's too loud, it's too quiet, and all you do is just analyzing everything, I, I don't think you understand worship for a second because worship, you, you're not supposed to wait till the creative team, you know, create the perfect experience for you to actually to say, all right, now I guess I can worship. No, that's not worship. You know, when it comes to worship, you're supposed to bring that to church. You don't come waiting for the perfect experience, climactic moment that makes you say, all right, I guess now I'll raise my hands. No, no, no. When you really are a worshiper of God, you get into this space and you say, God, I'm, I'm here to worship you. I, I, I brought something to give away. This, this is my confession. This is how I worship. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not waiting till everything is in place and everyone's in place before I begin to worship. No, 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 no. I came to worship. It's in me. How's your prayer life? Do an order of your prayer life. How's your prayer life going? Is it just in survival mode or is it thriving? Are you just cultivating a prayer life every time you've got a problem? Because if your prayer life exists solely around your problems, I'll tell you something right now. Your spiritual life is on life support and you don't even realize it. I don't think that that's the life that God's got for you either. 
You know, when Jesus came to planet Earth, it says that he came to seek and save that which is lost. That was his mission. That was his purpose. Was he passionate about it? Yeah. How do you know? Because he gave his life for it. He was willing to sacrifice. When you're really passionate. You lay down your life for something because you're so passionate. You're allowing it to bring sacrifice into your life because you just love it so much. You know, the Bible says that God loved the world. He loved the people in the world so much that He gave. He sacrificed His only Son and whoever believes in Him will never perish but had eternal life. Do you understand what that Scripture is about? Let me rephrase it. God was so passionate about people that were far from Him that He was willing to sacrifice His only Son so that they could know Him call that the gospel you know that last week if you read the gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and you read those each one of them focus significantly on the last week of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross you know what they call that they literally call it the passion you know Mel Gibson's movie The Passion you know why they called it The Passion called it because that's what people refer to the last week of Jesus' life. The passion. He was so passionate about people that He gave everything for them. See, action is always attached to faith. We just simply identify it as passion. We can see something. I don't think that anyone, hey, I don't want to offend anyone tonight, so I don't want anyone to be feeling guilty here, but no one could tell me that they were passionate about God if they weren't giving of their time to Him, if they weren't giving of their talent to Him, if they didn't give their treasure to Him, if they had no worship life, no prayer life, don't tell me you're passionate. You're not. You're dressed up. You look good, but you're not actually passionate. You know what? That's actually in danger of becoming religious. And we know how much we we hate religion, and yet it's so easy to engage in. When you're passionate, it doesn't look like that. Here's what James says. James said that faith requires works. You know what he said? He said, faith requires works. And if you don't have works, your faith is dead. If you're not doing anything, if you just believe it, but you're not doing anything, he says that, that faith is dead. It doesn't even exist. It's so sad. I feel like some people would do an audit and realize I'm not actually passionate. Let me ask you a question. How alive are you? This is so important because the world needs to be changed and God is sending you to do it. And if you're not passionate about that, there is a problem there. There is a disconnect there. God is sending you, not the person next to you, not some corporate body called the church. And yeah, that's great. They'll do the job. No, no, no. You are the church. We are the church. And we are called by God to make a difference on planet earth, to shift it, to change it, to mold it, to lead it in a new direction. And if the two billion people that profess to be followers of Jesus understood that His kingdom comes via the hands and their feet, that we could see a real shift happen on planet earth. But there is a problem. And I think the problem is people are lacking passion about this message. I believe in the priesthood of believers. I believe 
that every person that follows God has a ministry. And I believe that not all of those ministries are supposed to happen in the church. I think a lot of them are supposed to happen outside of the church. But I think something, something is supposed to happen. There should be something that we could point to. There's meant to be some fruit. There's meant to be some evidence in your life that you really love Him. You know, I was read this passage and I thought to myself, why didn't Joash, why didn't Joash strike the arrows after the prophet said, hey, you were meant to strike them a few more times. Like we don't read that into the story. Imagine if he said, no, 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 it was meant to be five or six. And he's like, oh, sorry, my bad. Two more times. But we don't see that. And the reason why we don't see it is because the window of opportunity to see faith and passion had closed. He wasn't passionate about it. He didn't care. He had his answer. He had enough and he didn't want any more. And that's not passionate living. And the window of opportunity to respond had closed. He didn't get a do-over. See, opportunity, it often comes with a timeline. It comes with a time frame. And you don't know when the window of opportunity is going to close. So if you are dispassionately living and not recognizing the windows of opportunity that are in front of you, I'm telling you right now, they're going to begin to close and you're not going to see it and you're not going to notice it. And God will say, I had so much more for you, but you didn't respond in the time when you had the window open. So you didn't make the difference that I sent you to because you didn't care anymore. Your life was going good at the time. You had enough. So that was the end of it for you. You know, my, my wife and I, we bought, a, we bought a dining room table a couple years ago. And when we bought it, uh, it was shipped out to us. And one of the legs that came in, it was bent. And so my wife, she called up the store and I said, hey, just speak to the lady that served us. And the lady that served us, she was so kind. She was so nice. And so we spoke to her again said, hey, look, you know, when they sent the table out, the leg was bent. So because it was bent, you know, we want a replacement. And she said, oh, wow. She said, I'm so sorry about that. She said, tell you what, I'll make sure I get onto this. We'll ship a new one out. We'll come, we'll collect it. We'll we'll take it. We'll we'll get it back to you in the next couple of weeks. Well, a couple of weeks go by and we haven't heard anything. And we wanted to be patient. So we waited a few more weeks, still nothing. About five or six weeks go by. I said, Sarah, I said, you better just call them and check what's happening. Maybe they just forgot about it because no one's contacted us and it was meant to happen nearly a month ago. So Sarah calls up the store and she speaks to a different lady and she said, hey, listen, she explained the story. She said, hey, she said, I called the store about five or six weeks ago when I spoke to the manager and, you know, this is her name. And, and I asked her, um, would you be able to send out a new table? Because the one that we had was broken, but we never heard anything back. And she said, what day did you speak to her? She said, look, this is the day I spoke. And the lady said, oh yeah, she died that day. She died that day and she kept a lot of stuff in her head. And because it was all in her head, there's no way for us to know uh, what she said that she was going to do. So we're just kind of letting people know as they call up. And I bet that lady, I bet she, uh, I bet she planned and actioning that the next day. I bet she planned on writing some of those things that were all in her head. She was going to write them down. She was going to action them. She was going to do them. But 
her window had closed. And here's the sad part. She didn't know the window was closing that day. She was making plans for tomorrow, but she felt no sense of urgency. She was like, I'll do it another day. I can put it off. I'll I'll write it down tomorrow. I'll do that in, in, in a few days' time. And here's my point to you. We have no idea when the windows of opportunity are closing. But there comes a time in your life where God says, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to act. Now is the time to do something. And if you live your life with this dispassionate apathy towards doing what God called you to do, I'll get around to it one day, God. I'm, I'm not just, I'm not passionate about it now, but that's not what God is asking from His people. Right now, there are so many of you that know that there are people that don't know God and you'll invite them one day and you'll share your faith one day and you'll pray for that person one day and you'll minister to somebody one day and you really will sign up for that missions trip and you really will get engaged and one day you're going to start giving and one day you'll lead a small group and all the time you're putting that stuff off, the windows of opportunity could be closing and you have no idea about the difference that you'd make today if you said now is the time to strike the arrows. How long will you wait before you begin to strike the arrows? Now is the time. Don't wait a minute longer. Don't wait till tomorrow. You don't know when your time is up. You need to begin to strike the arrows. There are people that are far from God today. Strike that arrow. Give them a phone call. There are people that you, maybe you say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make up and, and get back into the right relationship with that person tomorrow. You don't know when that time is going to happen. You don't know when that, when, when that window will close. There's a reason why God said, don't let the sun go down on your anger because today could be your last day and you don't know. So you do something about it today. Strike the arrows today. Do something about it now because tomorrow could be too late. I want you to stand to your feet. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.